This is podcast 104, and although I was, yes, away for about two weeks, it's taken me another full two weeks to get to the point of really desiring to put some words down, to lay a track, um, given uh, the thinking that I've been trying to do. And uh, it occurred to me after reading Huxley's 1936 novel, Eyeless in Gaza, recently, that in a real sense, that novel said all that could be said if you um, are looking for something like a, uh, a, a, a an overwhelmingly um, empirically verifiable picture of the human world and a um, kind of self-transcending resolution to the intractable problems of human existence, you wouldn't do it all badly to look at Eilis in Gaza because it sort of says everything there is to say. Huxley followed it with four other novels, mid and late mid-period novels, concluding, in my opinion, with um, The Genius and the Goddess and almost 20 years later. But after you read this particular book, Eilis in Gaza, you almost want to say, well, there was nothing more to say. He, he said everything. You could fine-tune a sentence or two, and um, there was one or two things you could say. It's really like reading Cousin's book, By Love Possessed. After it, even though he should have written more had he not been um, ambushed 100% by uh, very, very angry people, Cousins said, in a way, all that needs to be said, at least about the human world, in By Love Possessed. And the same could go for any number of people that you can think of. We all know that, um, we want to know that uh, after Journey, rock and roll had nothing left really to say except repetition. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about doing a video podcast. And if I were doing a video podcast, and I've done a couple of slightly unsuccessful attempts at such a thing, how do I say that last statement <clears throat> properly visually so that those who want to, those who have eyes to, ears to hear can hear, eyes to see? I haven't quite gotten that through. I have to put myself back in a pulpit persona sort of to think of how you would say that, you know, visually, like be Lily. <laughs> um, now, um, the uh, point is, I came to the point that after Podcast 100, I didn't really feel I had anything left to say except to perhaps note some new material. Nevertheless, uh, I've been thinking about a question, and it is a question that is so surgical for my own understanding of life and myself that I thought I'd just put it out there for you, and it's nothing new, but it is a question. And I did find a, a quote that struck me as being surgically apt to the surgical abscess of the issue. And I've been with some folk recently from my uh, former life, you might call it, professionally, and I've been uh, very struck, and I'm sure the same could be said of me, but I guess I've been struck by this, by the fact that a number of uh, people that I know and have worked with for many years are still trying to, you might say, reinvent the wheel. Or perhaps a better way to put it is, will it go round in circles? Whoa. Remember that? Isn't that song by Billy Preston, Go Round in Circles? That um, with all the knocks that people have taken and the wax and the wops and the push and the shove and the defeat and the destruction and the devastation of the um, 
of the culture wars that um, and life really it's more like it because the culture wars are simply a current expression at least they were in the Episcopal Church of a, of a immemorial madness uh, that has to do more with assertion and self-assertion and identification of one's quote self end of quote with causes or ideas or schools of thought rather than with human beings that created this extraordinary um, quote defeat end of quote that was not like Appomattox. There was nothing remotely harmonious in the um, in the afterworld of the um, of the so-called battle. And I meet uh, friends of mine, and they're still very much engaged in the same uh, um, what I would call uh, it feels to me the same kind of thought process, which is very much a schlag abtausch, schlag abtausch. Of Deutsch, which is to say, an exchange of blows, and uh, whether they're reliving the blows, or whether they're still delivering them, or whether they're still delivering them in their minds and are acting out of an adversarial position, I'm just extraordinarily struck by the um, hardness and the obduracy of certain ways of thought that are still there. I, I was talking to someone I've known for forever, and no one that anyone here actually listening to this knows. Not a, let me just say that not a single, not one of the people listening to this. Uh, that I can possibly think of, uh, except by sheer happenstance, might know a particular person, but someone that I've known for a heck of a long time, not a member of my family. And um, I was just amazed at the... uh, at the degree of uh, of anger that he he had in his thirties, um, that he now evinces in his late seventies, uh, utterly unchanged. This person, and as I say, it's not a recognizable person. And um, th- there was no the same um, um, adversarial ideological points of view that were sort of interesting, you might say, or even appealing, possibly to a young man in his twenties uh, and thirties strike one as being um, really terribly besetting and uh, imprisoning and really pathetic and dark uh, in a man in his late 70s. And I was amazed. I said, I don't understand why experience hasn't uh, cut this. Uh, he, he said to himself, well, my, my son says I'm angry. And I say to myself, I'm not angry. Show me where I'm angry. And uh Think about this. I mean, do you know anybody? Look, do, do you know anyone who evinces or seems to express absolutely no um, sort of um, sense of who they really are, but are still operating out of uh, being someone who they're not? After 30 years of, of, of the ego's not-self receiving blows, it is such an encouragement to see the, uh, the to me, wonderful... French movie Jean de Fioretti and Menon of the Spring uh, to see portrayed the possibility of an old person um, dying in a non-lost state, someone actually understanding who they are. Let me read a passage very briefly in Huxley's 1951 book, maybe 52, entitled The Devils of Loudon. Uh, the uh, uh, passage uh, is uh, in reference to um, the uh, death of uh, Sister uh, Jean of the Angels. And uh, she uh, was the woman in 1634 who had accused the Roman Catholic priest of Loudon 
of sorcery, which of which he was entirely and one hundred percent innocent. And uh, terrible things happened, and they were dramatized in a movie that I'll talk about at some point. Uh, quite famous and extremely controversial film from 1971 entitled The Devils by Ken Russell. And that's a whole other question. But let me read from uh, page 305 of uh, The Devils of Loudon by Aldous Huxley. Uh, Sister Jean is now a very old uh, woman. With part of her mind, Sister Jean, who had absolutely destroyed um, not only uh, one man through death, but... um, really hundreds of souls in her um, fantastic phantasmagoria of um, deliberate and unconscious, but what's deliberate and what's not, uh, lies as a young person. And in her very old age, Huxley writes this, with part of her mind, Sir Jeanne was probably convinced that she actually was the heroine of her own comedy. Did her illusions persist to the very end, or did... Sir Jeanne at least succeed in dying, not as the heroine before the footlights, but as herself behind the scenes. It was absurd, this backstage self of hers. It was pathetic. But if she would but acknowledge the fact, if she could only cease to impersonate the authoress of the interior castle, that's a reference to St. Teresa of Avila, if she would only cease to impersonate such and such, all might still be well. So long as she insisted on pretending to be someone else, there was no chance. But if she humbly confessed to being herself, then perhaps she might discover that in reality she had always been someone else, and that's spelled with a capital S and a capital E. Her death came in January of 1665. Now, um, that is um, very... Um, diagnostic of uh, so many. And it would certainly be true of me. And I'm simply asking, you know, it's probably hard, easier for you to see this in another person. It's certainly easier for me to see the hard shell of uh, of a completely uh, false um, um, form that people take, um, people who are still, you know, actively um, saying um, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the same old, same old in their old age that was perhaps funny or maybe even interesting or at least um, maybe even conducive of a little good long ago. But 40 years later, as an old person, it, it, it is, I guess the easy word is unbecoming and the stronger word would be shameful. I'm really thinking a little bit here of J.C. Ryle. Uh, J.C. Ryle was a wonderful um, crusading evangelical bishop in the Church of England and evangelical leader, and I'll do a podcast on J.C. Ryle. One could easily do two full podcasts or maybe more on Ryle. But it's very clear to me that he... Um, he his his contending spirit his adversarial spirit for whatever reasons that was hardened in his life never really ceased uh, one of the things about ryle that was interesting as an old man and he died in harness um ryle would even into his late 70s he would write letters to um to um church of england evangelical newspapers the um descendants of the record, I guess we now the Church of England newspaper, and he would always sign them anonymously, but he'd say, an old campaigner or an old soldier from the north. 
and his last communion service with the tears and the extraordinary show of a kind of un, un previously abreacted emotion reveals really a child. Now, of course, it's great to be a child, and there's a wonderful part of the child who is so needing to be assertive of the self that is also looking for self-transcendence. And I see both the things in Ryle's later years. Uh, but uh, Ryle still, his basic persona was an unabsurd uh, Don Quixote, uh, an, a, a, a non-funny Don Quixote. And to read his later letters always with the um, martial metaphors, and he really meant it. He wasn't talking about, you know, the Son of God goes forth to war, but it's a different kind of war. It actually was a very real war. And so um, this is what I wanted to ask you, is uh, looking at other people whom you um, think about in your family who are really, they go into their old age um, unassailed. And thank God for you that you're listening to this, because you wouldn't be listening to this if your sort of egotistical ego armor were not in some way being dislodged. Unlike Leviathan at the end of the book of Job, who, who the, they can't get an arrow through, remember? The, the picture in the scripture is of the, uh, of the um, like chain mail or the buckler plates of the sea monster Leviathan, this great Maleficent's beast, the Godzilla of the Old Testament, uh, of uh, Holy Writ. Uh, they can't get a, a, an arrow through into the fleshy heart of the creature because the, the armor is uh, so stitched together that you can't get through. The bucklers are uh, entirely without an interstice. A gap, no gap to mind, and so um, this is what happens with people. They the the, the armor of age twenty uh, turns into the super duper armor. Here's a quote uh, from Meister um, Eckhart. Now, uh, could I just say that Meister Eckhart, and that is another um, series of podcasts, and I'm not going to do him today. And please don't roll your eyes if you have heard about Meister Eckhart and say, "Oh, Paul, you know, good lord, he's 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 he was he was into J.C. Ryle, and now he's into Meister Eckhart." I'm not into Meister Eckhart, but one thing I do know, and I've seen this uh, in all sorts of people that I admire not just people who are admirers of Meister Eckhart. When you read Meister Eckhart, he's one of the few authors in this world that never makes a mistake. In other words, you can't read anything Meister Eckhart said if you're on the sort of path to some kind of um, 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 deconstruction of, of the way you were and the operich, operation of the antagonistic assertive self that has only run into um, mutually opposing conditions. You know, the old thing that hubris always attracts to itself nemesis. Well, Assertion always attracts counter-assertion. It's a Newtonian law of interpersonal physics. And um, when you sort of are finally kind of breathless in defeat, oh, you know, I can't believe this happened to me. I better check this thing out. Let's have a little bit of a tune-up here. At least let's have a, have a diagnosis. And uh, then you begin to read Eckhart. And one of the things about Eckhart, he, he never says anything that, 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 that's, that, that you say to yourself, you know, golly, this is wrong. Uh, this is special pleading. Uh, this, at least, is off. You know, you read Dombey and Son, and there's one character who is given an enormous amount of space in the last uh, third of the book that really doesn't work. Uh, or you read um, Morning, Noon, and Night by um, Cousins with its great sections of illumination and brilliance, and then you get some parts of it that seem to have 
especially the end, the, the ending falls flat because it's bravura rather than substance. It's not coming out of the man. It's coming out of his, um, his gift with words, although parts of it are. You read By Love Possessed and there's not a word, there's not a thought, there's not an insight that's not true to anyone that reads it who lives. Uh, the same would be true of works of Kipling. There are things in Kipling that, that are perfect. There are other things in Kipling that are not. Well, Eckhart is one of the few writers in the Christian tradition who um, never seems to misstep. That's because he himself was so clear. He, he was obviously, through whatever practices or whatever ideas or whatever formations he had and was disciplining himself with or simply had by some kind of experience, possibly even by nature, he was a clear channel. And uh, very few of us are clear channels. And uh, so um, you, you, you read him and you, you, you never go wrong. But this is a typical uh, thing that he um, he says. And uh, it's in the context of... Uh, of um, he says uh, uh, the potentiality of knowledge of and union with God, Eckhart writes, is present in all men and women. In most of them, however, it is covered by 30 or 40 skins or hides, like an ox's or a bear's, so thick and hard. Beneath all this leather, and in spite of its toughness, the divine more than self, which is the principle of our being, remains alive. Um, the hopeful part of the second is um, the um, antipode to the devastating description of the first. In most of us, however, by 30 or 40 skins or hides, he is covered like an ox's or a bear's so thick and hard. Now, that um, explains why the um, perdurance of the same patterns. Now, it is such a joy when you see someone actually open to a change. And um, you see the controlling character of the anxiety inside a person shifts just a little tiny bit to a bit of kind of childlike wonder, bewunderung, and um, kind of, it's an overused word, but openness to a new experience. Um, Huxley relates that um, Jean-Joseph Surin, the um, finally redeemed exorcist of Mother Jean, Jeanne of the Angels, Mother Jeanne of the Angels had three, possibly four exorcists during the great crisis of 1634 that resulted in the... Um, judicial execution, horrible thing, of an innocent man. Um, but about two months after those events, a fourth exorcist came on the scene, Jean-Joseph Serrin, a Jesuit. And um, there's, uh, he, he, he gives the antipode of the shocking hides and skins covering Sister Jeanne and any number of other people living in that world of that era, which is our world just as well. There's nothing separating it except external, contextual, secondary matters. And um, he talks about Serrin, who spent about the next 30 years working himself out of a place of extraordinary delusion, which is clear, and yet himself came to an understanding of what he'd gone wrong. And let me say what happened to him that's very interesting. Serrin, uh, uh, at the highest point of his psychosomatic illness, which was all related to, his, to issues that had come out very clearly in relationship to the post-burning 
exorcisms attempted of Sister Jean of the Angels. Serin went into a 30 years or so of psychosomatic illness that was, it's really a textbook case. And yet, I think about 20 years into it, he was paralyzed. He couldn't even button his clothes. He was truly what we would call an insane person. In uh, uh, John of Bedlam, John of Bedlam, and he uh, he says that uh, he was in this sort of Jesuit retreat house. It was a nice place, actually, in the sixteen. 16- 70s or something like that, something like that. And he just suddenly seemed to look outside for a minute. Beautiful day. And there was, in fact, a lovely garden with boxwoods and a horaire or a um, um, sundial and he, some insects and some flowering shrubs. And he was drawn to walk through the door. And he did down the steps, the uh, stone steps, and walked into the garden. And everything ceased. His entire problem ceased. He, he was given. It was a miracle, and he knew it. Uh, he wrote about it. He didn't understand it, but he suddenly sort of it came out of himself, and something about the vision of the light, uh, sort of an East Burt Norton, a little bit of Burt Norton here. He, he, he walked through the door, the door of light, and he was bathed in kind of light of God's uh, uh, be- beautiful world, and uh, something shifted in him. It, probably it was an, uh, something connected with his extraordinarily covered over, um, burned over, uh, absolutely bent in Quasimodo-like um, distortion, and something opened up, and it, so began the the healing in which he died. It's an extraordinary story of a man who finally, you might say, finds something that unites him with the rest of being. It's a very true story, and it's played out in the most um, despicable of ecclesiasticism's um, uh, uh, polemical shatterings of people into groups and sectors and schools of thought and uh, ideological conflictedness. And... uh, Huxley's very good to deal with this because um, Sister Jeanne of the Angels, nothing ever came through. Her false self was so bound up with an action, with an act, a lie, with an act, with theater, pure theater, that it had become habitual by the day she died. And it's uh, recorded in thousands of letters that this very prolific woman wrote starting in her early 20s and going through her old age and uh, her book as well. Um, And yet Serin, who also wrote, uh, way overwrote, um, is able to understand that something fresh has happened. So what is that that this boils down to? Well, first, um, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you weren't in search of a kind of new being. I mean, we do, you know, someone was saying about Dylan the other day, well, you know, that terrible phase, I was reading something or listening to something when Bob Dylan became a born again Christian. And I thought to myself today, you know, that's not what they'd say. They'd say when he became a, a right wing Christian or when he became a conservative Christian or when he became a, um, a values voter. I mean, I mean, in other words, the, the Christianity is so um, uh, totally linked in people's minds, or at least people who don't know about it with ideology uh, that, that they wouldn't have even given, um, that would have basically wanted to string him up. And in a way they did in the seventies, but when he became a born again, Christian, at least that's defensible from my angle because born again, I mean, everyone listening to this podcast, everyone in this world, by the way, in this world alone, everyone out there is looking to be born again. None of us is 
unhappy with the impasses of the ego, which is incredibly um, defended. We are all uh, trying to find ways to shore up something that is ultimately indefensible and can within a second be destroyed. Um, Someone was writing the other day about someone else who had gone into a burrow, an academic burrow, a kind of retreat, an academic burrow into his own little field and was completely cut off from the world but was doing some good things. And someone was saying, well, you know, um, the conjurer, and that he was referring there to God or whatever is in charge of uh, the fate of the destiny of human beings, the conjurer, capital C, We'll find him even in his burrow. I mean, what will happen in his burrow? The lights will go out. Something else will happen. Someone will throw a brick through the window. Uh, the, the internet will be cut off in his building. Uh, some profound, uh, he'll suddenly get uh, um, herpes, <laughs> you know, scales. Uh, it, 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 you, you name it, uh, the, the conjurer will find you out. Uh, and um, whether your way of dealing with your um, kind of defeats is to retreat, the conjurer will find you out. Or whether it's to simply build more castles. My angry friend in his late 70s is simply angry about new things. Um, th- th- this this person will simply, he's being found out, and, and uh, it, it's all a house of cards. So if you're listening to this, you're really uh, trying really to, 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 something inside you has, has died. Something inside you died. Isn't that uh, Carol King? Or is that Carly Simon? I think I've got that wrong. Something inside me died. (laughs) When I was in the U.S. Navy, my uh, roommate initially in the barracks was... uh, um, He used that song to cover over all sorts of terribly alienating physical habits that he had. Something inside me died, and I... Thirty or forty skins or hides like an oxes or a bear. But um, in spite of its toughness, the divine more than self, which is the principle of our being, remains alive and does respond. Well, um... That's uh, the thought of the podcast. Uh, First, think about it yourself. Uh, See yourself as someone who is actively trying to heal. Physician, heal thyself. And this is a great thing that you're doing. Um, And uh, I'm right in the queue. I am entirely not in front of you and entirely, I hope, not behind you in that. I've been just shocked. Uh, You know, here I've been... um, It was 2007 that the light went on for me, and it's now 2012. Here I'm five years into it, and I'm just, I'm just, my wonderful spiritual director, who God gave me, living within 100 yards of where I was living physically when um, the light went on in 2007, and all of a sudden, the very thing I've been looking for for hundreds of years turns out to be living 100 yards geographically from where I'm sitting, and uh, he said not long ago, after about four years of my work on this subject, he said, well, you've, I think you may have your toe on the road. I said, God damn it. You know, to myself, toe on the road? Who the... You know, I, mean, I couldn't believe it. But of course, it's, it, of course it is, sadly. Uh, I, as soon as he said it, I knew he was right. Now, um, let's go forward, you and me, uh, with a toe in the road. Uh, we are still r- r- trying to get these, uh, maybe they're 10 skins now instead of 22, or maybe they're uh, 15 instead of 30. Uh, but that's a real step, because then the possibility of an arrow getting through the bucklers of uh, Leviathan and Behemoth is infinitely higher, every skin that gets cast off. And so let's, uh, I'd like to spend the next few podcasts looking at the antipode of Sister Jean of the Angels, uh, Sir Jean des Anges, and uh, I feel like Monty Python. Are you the man who was persecuted and murdered the Protestants of France? 
Are you the famous Cardinal Richelieu? Uh, <laughs> I, I think of um, Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. Remember the French keep, le donjon français? Uh, well, um, this is really... Let's talk about the antipode next, but at least let's rejoice that we are looking for something. God knows I'm looking for a moon shadow. Moon shadow, moon shadow, or something like that. Thank you very much. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Way out in space together, compass of the sky. My heart would be a fireball, a fireball. Every time I gazed into your starry eyes We'd take the path to Jupiter And maybe very soon We'd cruise along the Milky Way And land upon the moon To a wonderland of stardust We'll zoom our way to Mars My heart would be a fireball 